Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Jamili and Poz podcast, brought to you by Eurosport. I'm British sprinter Adam Jamili, and I'm GB hurdler Andrew Pozzi. In this podcast, we'll be joined by some very special guests, as well as bringing you the very latest on our own preparations for the Tokyo Olympics. So, welcome to Jamili and Poz from Eurosport. Poz, it's getting closer. Depending on when you're listening to this podcast, Pozzi and I will either be flying to Japan or in Japan already. So, uh, woo, it's getting there. It's getting there. It's finally happening, isn't it? I mean, we've obviously waited five years now, but it's finally happening. So, yeah, thoroughly looking forward to it. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm just excited. Obviously, we didn't know if it would happen all of last year, and now it's the f- time's finally upon us in a very different sense. But yeah, we don't actually fly straight into Tokyo, do we? We're traveling to the uh, the GB holding camp first. That's in Yokohama, isn't it? Yeah. How do you for people who don't know what that is? So basically, you do a little prep camp just before you go into the village to get acclimatized, do your last little bits of preparation. The whole GB team is there, so it's um yeah, exciting, really, really exciting to 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 get out there. But yeah, what's what's your experience has been like in the past? It's a really cool vibe, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I remember in, in Rio, and I remember, I'm going to put you on the spot, I remember watching you do your, your 200 meter time trials just before going in. And what was it, like two 200s off, off full recovery, flat out, full intensity. Yeah. And I think I found it really, um, not not just you, but, you know, I found it inspiring <laughs> just watching the best, you know, some of the best athletes in the world. It's really great to take yourself away from kind of, you know, day-to-day distractions. It's quite an intense environment, but always so so good to get both mentally and physically right before heading into the village which again is quite chaotic isn't yeah, it yeah i think at this point now you're just you're just trying to get do your last little bits of touches don't do anything stupid no silly little niggles no silly little injuries and and obviously the big one which i think all athletes are, are most concerned about is is covid just keep yourself to yourself keep yourself clean keep yourself clean that's your top tip <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean it's it's nervy isn't it it's it's a, obviously a new dynamic for us but it's nervy because mm-hmm. we're obviously at the point of no return to some extent. You know, if you catch it now, particularly once you get into the village and you have to do the, I think it's the two week quarantine, you're going to miss your event, you know? So yeah, really tough. I don't know about you, but I'm very antisocial at the moment. My mask yeah. has barely left my face when I've not been in my house, just trying to do everything right and, and hope that that's enough. You know, at the time of recording this, we have to be honest, there's obviously already been a couple of cases out in the Olympic village. So, you know, it just shows everyone is living such a solitary life, but it's still, it's still kind of able to, you know, to, to permeate, you know, our lives. So yeah, fingers crossed for the both of us and obviously for everyone hoping to go out to the Olympics. It's, it's nervy, isn't it? I don't go into the village until I think like four or five days before I compete, really. So I think that this sort of the end of July, the 29th mm. or the 30th or something like that. So, um, what about yourself when, when you're, when you're actually heading in there? I'm guessing we'll be roommates as well, which is, is like normal. So winding the clock back, <laughs> just like always. No, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited. I think, um, so for me, I go into the village, I think the 31st of July and my first round is on the 3rd of August. So, you know, just a few days in there to kind of get your bearings, settle in. Um, at that point, obviously, our training is basically done. You know, we're, we're predominantly resting and just maybe doing some final touches um, just to make sure we're prepared. So, you know, heading out to Tokyo shortly and um, yeah, just, just really, really excited. So yeah, as you mentioned, we're probably going to be sharing a room again, Adam, not for the first time ever, uh, you know, go steady here. Is there any, anything that I need to watch out for? Any bad habits that you want me to try and get rid of before flying out to Tokyo? If you don't know anything by now, then, uh, <laughs> I think it's too late we're in, we're in trouble we share the lot now you're pretty you're pretty easy going you, you uh 
you're um you're a good roommate, uh, a good person to have. You're you're like me. You're pretty antisocial as well. So we're gonna go <laughs> in, go back to our rooms and, and hide away in our little molehole. We were made for this this COVID uh, regulations, <laughs> weren't we? We're, we're, we're well practiced. <laughs> now, before we flew out, we had just enough time to chat to a truly inspirational athlete and person from the world of boxing. She's been an absolute trailblazer throughout her career. And when she won her first British title, she even had to keep her achievements and her training hidden from her strict family. Ramla Ali is the first Muslim woman to win an English boxing title. And this summer, will like us be heading to Tokyo, but not to represent Team GB, but Somalia, the country she and her family fled when she was a one-year-old. Ramla hopes to become not only the first Somali female boxer to go to the Olympics, but the first to win a gold medal. She can also count Meghan Markle amongst her supporters. This is the amazing Ramla Ali. The thing that people find confusing is how comes you're professional and you can go to the Olympics. I think from back in 2016, they changed it that uh, a professional who's had up to 15 fights can now compete at the Olympic, should he wish to. I've always wanted to go to the Olympics, so even though I'd turned professional, I couldn't say no to that. I only found out five weeks ago. I found out because a friend of mine contacted me because she saw my name registered on the Olympic website. I was like, what? What a way <laughs> to find out. Anti-climax. Yeah, exactly. What a way <laughs> to find out. And I thought, no, you're kidding. So I obviously I went, on, I went online, checked it out. And then it's just very fortunate for me that my coach husband, Richard, he has a, a very good relationship with a member of the IOC boxing task force who he then messaged who who confirmed it i was going so i've you know a lot of people have had months and months to prepare for this and i've only had five weeks but like i said it has always been a goal of mine to go to the olympics so i couldn't necessarily say no so i had to i had to come you said you've only had five weeks preparation how is uh, how is your prep going for the games you feeling confident you feeling good yeah, like I'm I'm feeling good. I came out a bit early and I wasn't fortunate enough to get on a camp because I hadn't put in my application months ago when I should have found out. Um, so obviously all the camps that I tried to get on, everyone was saying, it's, you know, it's a bit too late. So when we came out here, we were sort of training in the underground car park and running around <laughs> in the <laughs> underground car park. Um, but the thing is, is, the best thing you can do is just, you know, make do with what you've got and not complain. Like, you know, I've made it to the Olympics. You know, not a lot of people have the opportunity to do that. And, you know, whatever happens, I will, you know, I can forever hold, like I can forever call myself an Olympian. No one can take that away from me. So the way I see it is just make make do with, with what you've got. And, you know, if, if you've got a car park, just use the car park. And Absolutely. And that's that. And even yesterday, because I haven't had much sparring yesterday, you know, found a girl from Mozambique and I was like do you want to do some rounds and we were just doing some rounds in the car park as the cars were driving in so you're just trying to dodge the cars at the same time no. <laughs> um, but yeah it was really fun and I'm glad to have got that first spot out of the way get those nerves out of the way as I'm here because if I, I, don't, I don't I feel like if I didn't have that then I would have just gone in feeling nervous and unprepared if that makes sense but now now I feel good it's not all as no. glamorous as they say, is it? It's, it's. I think if people see the Olympics, they're like, "Oh, you guys must have the best facilities, the best, the best everything planning for you." Like, and for a lot of other athletes as well, doing their actual training where you can, like, you just make make do, and that's why 
it's such it's such a special feeling to go to these to go to any olympics to be honest like it's because it means so much and athletes work so hard we're not we're not superstars we're not footballers we're not people that have everything given to us can you imagine though adam like i'm i'm so surprised i mean the car park is one thing but i think we've all we've all been there you know warming up in like hotel corridors or in car parks hotel whatever. Rooms, yeah. but i just can't believe that you just found your sparring partner almost like just wandering around the street like hey do you want to do you want to spar tomorrow or you know obviously <laughs> she's a pro but it's mad isn't it so she's five weight classes above me she's massive but it was really really yeah i mean it's like like i said is you just take the opportunities as and when they come so she was like she i think she just flew in the day before and she was like quite eager to get the jet lag out sure. and just move around and stuff and you know you know she was holding back but even her 20 percent was like someone's hundred it's like, a lot of power it was like 100 it was a lot for me so i woke up this morning and i was thinking why, why am i so achy and then i was like um but yeah yeah it was really good honestly it was you know she wasn't she wasn't a dick and she wasn't nasty and she was really sweet and she was hold you know she was holding back and yeah yeah, it was good to just you know shake the legs out a little bit is it a concern that whenever you like picking a sparring partner you have to do really carefully because i've obviously heard a lot you know you might get someone in who wants to try and prove a point especially if you've got quite a big profile which obviously you do and almost spars in bad faith is that something that concerns you whenever you're prepping for a fight that picking a a sparring partner that's you know not going to try and catch you out or try and knock you out you know straight off the bat is is that important or is it just a case if you want to get anyone in there that's that's um willing to test you I think what's really important is like what you said, you want you want those sparring partners that are going to bring their A game because the better mm. they are, the better you become. So the only thing that we ask sparring partners not to do is to record because so often, and I've seen this so much on Instagram and I, I think it's just so tacky that people mm. clip their sparring and just sort of use their best bits and it just makes them look like, oh my God, they're phenomenal. And I, yeah. I absolutely hate when people do that. I think it's so tacky because if you're that confident, why don't you put the whole thing up and let's see how the whole spar went. Well, it's the same. It's the same in all sports. That is, I guess yeah. people just use the best. Like you see people on Instagram sprinters and you're seeing them do all the drills and they look so nice and block starts <laughs> and then you see them race and it's like, uh, where's uh, all the, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny, isn't like it? It's yeah, just the exactly. social media like, world now, isn't it? I've, I've switched off social media as well because I always find that, just before competitions it really gets gets in your head you become so focused mm. on what other people are doing and you're like oh god why am i not doing that oh th- this looks really good they look they look really good i can't believe i'm not doing that so i've actually not had social media for about two weeks now and it's just it just feels amazing wow proper detox and it's really good for like mental health as well i find that it, it really gets you down sometimes it, it you know it um sort of plugs plugs in if, if you're a person that has a lot of anxiety like i do it, it sort of plugs into that so i hate that so just switch it off two weeks before any competition just complete detox mm. i know so many people that do that and it's um it's so important i mean for everyone you know you mentioned mental health there but you know if you're an athlete going into a big event it's so important i think that you know what works for you and what doesn't and you're able to kind of drop in and out of the zone that does suit you is there anything else that you you know you particularly like doing when you're preparing that gets you kind of mentally or obviously we can talk about the physical as well you know with regards to training but like is there things that you just you just don't want to be near when you're coming into competition are you someone that 
that likes to be social? Are you someone that likes to be alone? You know, how, how does it work for you preparing? I, I like to be quite alone. Um, I, one thing I hate is, <laughs> this is so weird, but like people will message you on fight week and be like, Hey, how can I watch you fight? And how are you <laughs> feeling? And, um, Oh, how are you doing champ? Are you nervous? It's like, of course I'm nervous. Why, why are you asking me these questions? It's so pointless. <laughs> but though, yeah, so I, I will also switch my phone off like three, three, maybe four days before to, to sort of not have those questions like right in front of me hate those like if you don't know if you don't know when i'm competing that's on you you should have done your homework you know what i mean if you really want to watch me fight you'll go online you'll find out you know where it is you don't need to ask me but yeah i I, I sort of yeah i stay away from like whatsapp and like another thing i love to do is i actually have a sports psychologist anytime i'm feeling quite on edge you know we'll do some like sort of drills and um work together that sort of like relaxes me and i'm just calm again which is quite nice people do so much work physically and then mentally expect it to just happen and it and it won't ever just happen unless you work on it yeah do you feel like you're in the zone when you're in a fight because it's 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 a slightly different to to what we do because we're literally 10 seconds or 12 13 seconds and we're done so it's like we're sort of like i think when we race it's sort of you're zoned out um but for you you've got to stay on it you've got to stay quite switched on so what 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 sort of mental state are you in? Do you feel like you're in the zone, but you're still like picking, reacting off your opponent? Or do you feel like you're just completely like zoned out and you barely remember anything during the fight? The worst bit is the lead up to the fight. And so that's always the part that I've got to try and stay as calm as possible because having too much nervous energy really drains it out of you. You can feel it in your mm. legs. Like if you're so nervous, your legs are like jelly. So I think... That's a lot of the times, like, the work that I love to do with my psychologist is just allowing him to help me get mm-hmm. as less nervous as possible because the moment the bell goes, that's set. You have no... You don't remember what you had for breakfast. You don't... Sometimes you don't even remember your coach's name. Like, it's just mm-hmm. you and this other person and you're, like, mm-hmm. in this whole completely different world of them trying to hit you and you trying to hit them. And you have to stay as mentally alert as possible because the moment you switch off is the moment you get caught and that's the worst thing getting out of the ring and thinking oh damn it I wish I did this and I wish I did that because if you're 100% focused in the fight you will have done everything that you sort of prepared you were prepared to do but if you switch off you won't if that makes sense it must be tough having to be so focused for so long because I mean I find like when I'm when I'm racing there's just nothing going on around like I don't even know if there's a a crowd or anything like that but I can't imagine having to do that for you know multiple rounds five minutes three minutes two minutes you know overall you're probably in that kind of zone for about half an hour you know I just can't I just can't imagine it like 13 (laughs) seconds and I'm just like fried afterwards the one the one thing you're just thinking about the whole time is god why is this round not ending really (laughs) (laughs) that's what I'm thinking too in my race (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're like oh damn it why is it not finished oh one minute to go oh my god like usually I ask uh, Richard to to tell me like when it's a minute down a minute to go 30 Mm -hmm. seconds to go and then you're like so he'll say a minute to go you're like what still a minute like that minute feels so long it feels like an hour and you're just sort of trying to 
click down the numbers in your head. Yeah, uh, for me, one minute seems long when when my coach says, "Right, minute plank." A minute. <laughs> like, yeah. You feel like you've been holding a plank for like ages. He like he's like, "Yep, forty five seconds left." You're like, "What?" To, to anyone listening, if if they want to relate to what it's like for you being in a round at the Olympics, that's do what a they should do. Plank. Just do like the same period of time in a plank and then they'll realise. Exactly, exactly. You, you mentioned uh, Richard there, your mm. coach and also your husband. How is that dynamic and how do you, you know, you guys manage to balance, you know, when he is is your coach and, and when mm. he's your husband? And do you find it difficult at times to go, you know, between the two? Do you know what? This is so funny. And like everybody asks us the same question. And the one thing I always say to them is, no, because we actually like each other. <laughs> we actually we actually spent collectively a period of 40 days in quarantine. So back in December, we both tested positive for COVID. So we had to do a mandatory 14 days in the UK. And then it was literally, right. I had two days um, to pack because then we were flying away abroad. And then when we um, got to Cayman, uh, we test. We kept testing positive because the whatever it is was still in our body. They wouldn't let us out of the hotel room until we tested negative. So we did another twenty six days in quarantine. So altogether, it was forty days we were in quarantine. Oh my god! And we didn't even argue. No, actually, we only argued once, and that was on Christmas Day. I really wanted to watch Home Alone, and he said, "Oh, but I've seen Home Alone a million times." So I got the hump. And I walked off and that was the only time that we argued. And everyone was like, how come you didn't argue more? And I said, well, because we actually like each other, you know, <laughs> working with him, living with him is actually, it's, it's, it's nothing to us. Like I, I enjoy working with him. He knows me better than anyone. Sometimes he won't even have two minds to pull me out of a fight. If I'm not mentally there, he'll be like, right, you're not competing. Let's go. And like, any other any other coach will sort of push you into something that you're not you don't necessarily want to do. So he, I feel like he knows me better than anyone else, and you know I wouldn't I wouldn't trust my life with anyone else. But it's quite funny that we're here. So it's only me and him. I was an athletic physio osteo, so he's literally acting as the coach. We're doing FaceTime sessions with the osteo, who's saying, right, I need you to sort of do this and that so he's acting as the osteo as well wow yeah like my osteo gave me some cup like cups for the cupping and he was like right i need you to stick one cup right there so he's there doing the cups and then yeah it was, it's nuts i think i need richard in my life <laughs> yeah we all need a we all need a richard in <laughs> everyone needs a richard in their life <laughs> <laughs> What has sort of your experience has been of like turning pro? Has, has much changed in your life? Obviously, you signed for a big, you signed for Matchroom, which is one of the sort of the biggest promoters in the in the sport of, of boxing. So what what was that like? Were you, were you excited? Were you nervous? Like how has your life changed from just going from amateur to pro? So obviously like the pandemic hit last year and then um, the whole world came to a standstill. No one was competing especially amateur boxing, just it, it, nothing was happening. And like the only thing that seemed to be um, moving forward was professional boxing. So I just thought, you know what, I want to compete. I don't like this inactivity of just doing nothing. Because I remember during lockdown, I, I mean, obviously this isn't a lot to a lot of people, but I put on like six kilos, which is, 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 is a lot as a boxer because you want to be walking around no more than two maybe three kilos over 
Um, so I put on like six, maybe seven kilos. And I thought, look, I don't, I don't like myself like this anymore. I want to compete again. So I went and I got my professional license. And then a couple of months later, I had my first professional fight. And it was, it was amazing. Mm. Obviously, it was like behind closed doors. It was quite weird because, you know, there was no spectators. And all you could do, you can just hear yourself breathing heavy. And you can hear your opponent breathing heavy. And like, you wouldn't necessarily hear any of that if there were crowds. And so that was really weird. And like, you can hear the commentary of what they're saying, which sort of gets in your head as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, she keeps dropping her lead hand or she, she's not moving off and she's not moving her head. And you're like, should I be doing all of this? Like, and it was yeah. like really getting in your head. So that was like quite a weird experience, but I'm, I'm glad I turned professional because it gave me the opportunity to continue, um, to continue competing and to continue being active before this, I was competing in Las Vegas and it was like a crowd of, I want to say 20,000, which is massive. It's a huge crowd. And I feel like, you know, being in that um, environment has sort of prepared me for this big world stage as well. But yeah, so I'm, I'm glad I turned professional and I'm glad I did when I did. Has it, um, has it changed your relationship with the sport at all? Because obviously since going pro, you know, there's a lot more demands, I'd imagine, as you say, you know, you're now fighting in much bigger stadiums, bigger crowds, all these sorts of things. Performing for a big crowd is is one of the joys and you get to do what you love on a on a bigger stage. But are there negatives that have changed your relationship with your sport? You know, has it, has it become almost like less pure because you've got to do loads more media or, or anything like that? I mean, I've always had to do a lot of media uh, because I've never been funded as an, as an athlete. So... For me, I've always had to go out and, and secure the funding myself. Like I do a lot of like modeling work and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get commentary online that say things like, oh, well, you know, she needs to stop modeling if she wants to take her boxing serious. And, and I, ha- I hate when people comment things like that because the way I see it is if a person is, let's say, has a normal nine to five job, would you tell them to stop working their nine to five job to concentrate on boxing? No, you wouldn't. So why why do you always feel the need to 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 bring, you know, women down? I hate when people say things like that. Like I had to pay for myself to get it. On a day that I'm meant to be resting on a Sunday, I have to go out, do a shoot, get paid so I can pay for another competition. And that's how it's always been. And yeah, it's always been hard, but then it makes all the victories that follow from that all the more sweeter because I've grafted so hard to get it which is quite nice and you're in a sport which is obviously over the years I, I would say more known as as a sort of male dominated sport so you've come in as a woman into a combat sport not only as a woman but a woman of color and of Muslim background which is even more sort of niche I guess and how have you found that sort of that transition into into such a male dominated sport was it at first was it quite difficult or was it did you just forget all of that and just just focus on yourself and take to it like a duck to water I guess yeah obviously like at first it was quite difficult you know a woman a woman of color woman you know of a certain religion you know it all it all plays into it um but I I feel like 
female boxing has grown so much, especially since 2012, and how successful, um, you know, the likes of Nicola Adams, Katie Taylor, Clarissa Shields became um, following on from their Olympic success. And, like, it, it's grown massively. I remember shortly after that time the you know, most ABCs, um, so amateur, sorry, ABCs, amateur boxing clubs, had, like, a 20% increase in, in female participants. And, like, some of the ABCs that were just boys clubs like Repton famous famous boys club and West Ham opened its doors for the first time to women so I was like that was great and yeah so it, it, yeah yeah it was it was hard at first obviously with I'm sure you've read a lot online with my family and yeah. them you know saying you know you can't do it because Muslim girl shouldn't do this, a woman shouldn't do this. Um, so it was really, really hard. But I think sometimes in life, it, when you're so passionate about something, you can't let um, what other people think or say stand in your way. Because if if I did, then I wouldn't be in this position today. And if, you know, I sort of listened to them, I, I, I wouldn't be at the Olympics and probably would be bored you know, in an office office job somewhere. Um, so I'm really glad that I didn't listen to anyone and I'm really glad that I sort of listened to my own instincts and sort of, you know, gave it a shot. So inspiring. I think it's super inspiring to just, for any, not just any young lady out there, any young girl might, who might be listening to anyone out there who wants to go for their dreams. And I said, I think you, you get, life is short and you don't want to have any regrets and for yourself, even though people brought you down, you went out there and and you made it happen for yourself and, and now you're doing so much and you're 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 such a big role model to to loads of young young women in the sport um who might want to get into it but might be quite nervous so it's 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 a truly remarkable thing that you've done and, and obviously hats off to you. Thank you and now obviously yeah like you said you're talking about your modeling you've been on the cover of vogue as well which is which is pretty <laughs> uh that's pretty mental like that's that just doesn't just happen very often at the request of Meghan markle i think it's not usual that you know, being on the cover of Vogue isn't enough, but under the circumstances as well, just f like mind-blowing phenomenal. You know, how did that come about? Was it something that you kind of knew was was happening or? No, no. So um, basically a Vogue contributing editor, mm -hmm. her name is Laura Bailey. She she messaged me on Instagram and she, she said, I'd really like to take some photos of you. Oh, boom. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I went in, we took, <laughs> we took some photos and it was for um, a campaign for like, for, I think it's called like Inspiring Women Campaign or something. Come on, say it louder. Say it with your chest. <laughs> Inspiring Women Campaign for um, this, <laughs> this uh, British designer called Amanda Wakely. And then sort of after the shoot happened, you know, I, I started talking to her, you know, asking her what she did. And she told me she's a contributing editor in Vogue. And I remember just saying, like, I think it was as a joke to say, oh, I, I, you know, it's been a dream of mine to be in Vogue. And she said, you know what, I'll make it happen. And, you know, when people say things like that, you're just like, oh, all right, then make it happen, will you? Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> a couple of weeks after that, Richard got an email to say, you know, you're going to be featured in the Vogue. And I didn't, I didn't know what it was about. Just all I knew is that I was going to be on the front front cover of Vogue with like fourteen other inspiring women. And so the shoot happened, and uh, it was quite funny actually. When the editor came up to me, Edward uh, Enenfor, he you know he introduced himself. He said, "Hi, I'm Edward. 
So oh, hi, you're right. And then he was like, "Yeah, I'm I'm the editor of Vogue," and I literally just blurted out, "Oh wow, I thought you'd be white." And <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, I'm hoping he didn't take offence to it. Um, but he just laughed it off. But what I think what I meant was just it's quite nice to see a black man in such a prominent role. And I sort of after explained myself and we joked and you know da da da. But yeah, so we did the cover and um, I didn't know what was going on. It was just all I knew is I was on the cover of British Vogue. And I think the day before it was it was due to come out, I got a phone call from like this private number. So I didn't pick up first time, didn't pick up the second time. And the third time I just thought, you know what, it's probably my mum. Let me just answer it. So I answered it and then it was just like, hi, is this Ramla? So yeah, who's this? And then she was just like, it's Meghan Markle. And I just thought, oh, oh my God. <laughs> wow. <No>. Yes. <laughs> you thought it was going to be like telemarketing or something. You're like, I don't need to upgrade my phone. Yeah, leave me alone. I haven't been in a car wow. accident. Leave me alone. Um, and she no just, way. yeah, we just, <laughs> then she sort of just explained that um, she was guest editing the issue and if I could keep quiet until it came out the next day. And then she also said, you know, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the cover as if I'd ever say no. <laughs> um, and it was, yeah, we just had a really nice conversation. And I thought it was really nice uh, that she took time out to call me and, you know, not only call me, but like she introduced herself as Meghan Markle. Like I feel like she didn't want to sort of say, hi, I'm Duchess of Sussex and make me feel a certain type of way, like really nervous. So she just sort of introduced herself mm -hmm. as like a normal person, which I thought was really nice because then following on from that, the conversation was very, it was just really great and it flowed and, um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. We spoke a little bit about being a role model, being an idol in, in so many communities, not just being the first Somalian uh, woman to go pro in boxing. And obviously you basically set up the governing body over in, in Somalia for boxing. And then obviously, you know, your religion as well. You're kind of such an important figure to so many people. And that's incredible. I know that it's very important to you. Does it ever sometimes, are there ever moments where you think, do you know what? I just want to be able to focus on me and like, you know, I don't want to be this, this role model. I want to actually just, you know, deal with like what's in front of me right now. You know, does it ever feel like a weight or a, or a burden from time to time? And I know obviously in the, in the grand scheme of things, what you're doing is incredible, but are there just ever moments where you think, do you know what, this is incredibly hard. And a lot of my competitors don't have this expectation as well as having to fight, you know, me and, and, finance it and, and all the rest of it you know are there ever too many balls in the air sometimes yeah sometimes it does like sometimes I do have a little bit of a breakdown like oh my god I can't do this it's too much I can't da, da, da. but then I, I have to sort of take a step back and like you said think think about the bigger picture and you know the bigger picture being you know trying to inspire the next Ramla Ali who lives in Mogadishu who's you know sort of scrubbing away someone's dishes to um, sort of realise that she can sort of... This is so cheesy, I know, but it's... Oh, honestly, but it's real though, isn't it? It's, it's, it's genuinely how I feel is, you know, I'm hoping to inspire the next Ramla Ali to sort of think 
bigger than being someone's housewife and sort of, you know, showing her that, you know, we came from the same place and if I can do it, so you can do it too. And yeah, sometimes it does get really hard and sometimes I wish I had the same level of funding as other people and sometimes I wish I didn't have to work, you know, to sort of fund myself and just concentrate solely on on um, the sport. But then it's like I said, all you know all these hardships just makes the victories all the more sweeter and you know if it, if it can inspire some some girls and even some little boys basically um to sort of dream big then yeah I've it, it, it makes it worthwhile and I've you know done my job properly it's real it's a real story and it's a real journey and it's there's there's you can't make this up you can't you, you can't, honestly, yeah. you, can't make you, you, can, you can't at all but well, have you ever have you ever thought about life after sport, or you just because obviously you're doing you're doing a lot. You're boxing, you're modelling, you've got a novel out. Like you've you've there's so much there's so much got going on. You have, there's have a film thought? coming out as well. Is I there wanted a film? to ask about that. Have you seen that movie, The Favorite? Oh, I've seen that. The the the, the one with the Queen. Yeah, it won some Baftas. It was nominated for Oscars. Um, did it win an Oscar? It might have won. Win Academy yeah, Award. It won yeah. loads of things. Anyways, the producer of The Favorite about two years ago. She sort of approached me and she was like, I want to make a movie about your life. And I thought, no, thanks. Because it just felt so, like, <laughs> intrusive. Like, everyone's going to know everything about me. And, you know, you always hear these stories about how, you know, films get made about certain people and they end up not liking the way they're portrayed and things mm. like that. So I just said, no, thanks. But she was persistent. I'll give her that. For two years, like, she... she she turned from this woman that I just met as a producer to like a really good friend, even family now. She's accompanied me to a few family weddings. You know, she's come to watch me compete. She always, she's the first person to always message me, good luck or she, she you know, after a victory, well done. Like she, and it's not even just good luck or well done. It's like this whole essay of how proud she is to know me. And so I thought, you know what, if anyone's going to make a movie about my life story, I want, I'd want it to be her. And so I think last year signed a contract and she's allowed me to have as much input into it as I want, which is what I've always hoped for. Oh, I can't wait to watch that. That's going to be wicked. Do we, do we have an idea of a release, a release date? Um, well, they have even started filming it. Okay. Yet. I think the script has just finished like, maybe the final draft and I think they're hoping to start filming as early as um spring of next year are you getting a cameo in it are you getting it? I know it's about you but are you gonna get a little cameo in it no way no <laughs> Adam's Adam's fishing because he's hoping that this podcast is in the film and that we get a cameo <laughs> <laughs> do you want do you want a cameo I can put in I can put in a good word <laughs> We're going to be in Tokyo together at the Olympic Games. We're not there yet. You are. Yeah. Is there anything we need to know coming into the village? I've, I've, there's all this talk about cardboard beds. Apparently, these these cardboard beds are to sort of discourage athletes from engaging in intercourse. So that's what we've been told. <laughs> What's the food like? The food is is okay. It's very like samey, samey. So it's very like same mm-hmm. thing every day, yeah. and you're just off. Oh. God, can I just get a delivery, please? Um, 
Uh, the village is massive. It's beautiful. You can cycle to places. Everyone's really friendly, uh, which is quite nice. And how long are you in there for? You know, pre-fighting, and then actually, how long is your your whole competition? How many days? So um, we've been told that the moment you lose, you've got forty-eight hours, yeah. and then you've got to go sling your hook. Yeah, see you later. Do you know what? Somebody told me. I don't think this is true now, but somebody initially told me if you lose, you get twenty-four hours, and then if you win a medal, you get forty-eight, as if that was like an extra incentive. Like, oh, I better win the Olympics then. <laughs> no, so it's stay a bit longer. no, it's it's literally if you lose forty-eight hours, then you've got to go home. But you know what? what's wow. really weird is like there's been three confirmed cases of COVID now in the village. So that's quite worrying because the moment you that test positive, you've, you've got to go into isolation. You're in isolation. You can't compete. What is, what is the point of going to Japan if you can't compete? It's mad. So like, you know, everyone's being all like, oh, don't touch me. You know, you don't get into the lift with anyone. It's very, it's very weird, very antisocial behavior from that's disappointing demand. really that's yeah, part of part of what i love about the olympics and and fortunate enough to have gone to to london and rio is the yeah. mixing with the other athletes that you don't normally get to mix with seeing exactly. different sports watching like just that whole well, you're not allowed to watch united you're not allowed to watch other yeah. sports no spectators so you know all those people you know all those long jumpers that are like yeah, get in you're gonna have to jump on dead noise like you, there's, there's none of this this year oh, you can't no. go to other you can't go to other like competitions you can't see other people compete was there anything that you were uh, wanted to go and watch? i love watching athletics oh, really because you guys are like superhumans. Like, how do you run under 10 <laughs> seconds? I don't get it. You know, I always thought, oh my God, athletics is so easy. Just running in a line for 10 seconds. It is mad. Like, when you go at full speed, you're literally, your whole nervous system just shuts down and you're just lying on the floor like a baby. Yeah. So it's, 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 not, it's not great. I, I'm glad <laughs> that somebody can give a bit of context because everyone just thinks that we're soft. But when I signed up for this sport, I thought it was going to be easy. And then it just turned out to be a whole other lifetime. I'll be, I'll be, I'll finish a race, be absolutely drenched with sweat. And my friends are like, you ran for 10 seconds. Why are you sweating? Like, what's wrong with no, you? No, but do you know what? Like every sport is hard. You guys train as hard as your body will allow you, if that makes sense. Because your body is so conditioned to running 10 seconds, you train as hard as you possibly mm-hmm. can for that 10 seconds. Yeah, no, you're right. Because yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't do what you do. And I don't think you can do what I do, but that's 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 what i'm saying like every 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 sport is difficult oh ramler thank you so much for uh for joining us honestly it's been a pleasure i don't want to, we don't want to take up too much of your time i know you're you're out in the village you've got your training to do and focus on but it, it's been it's been absolutely it's been fantastic for you to uh to to be so honest and open and 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 yeah it's been very inspiring to listen to so on on behalf of myself and Poz, thank you so much for 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 giving up your time and uh we'd love to have you back and after the games and and, and talk about some other more in-depth issues as well but no it's been it's been awesome so thank you thank you very much. no thanks thanks for having me a lot of people asked me to do like press and things like that leading up to the olympics i, I didn't necessarily want to so i just turned everyone down but like you guys asked me and I thought, oh yeah, this is amazing. I have to do it. So um, no, thanks. Thanks for asking me. It's, it's been, it was really good. Listen, it's been our pleasure. Yeah. Best of luck. We'll see you out there. Hopefully. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
mate, how inspirational was that? What what an absolute legend, Ramla. Like just just what she was saying was just was just crazy. Her story, how inspirational she is, what she's doing outside of just her boxing. Like, what do you think? I mean, I mean, obviously, I knew her story coming into this, and um, you know, cards on the table. Obviously, done a little bit of research and. And checked it all out, but I just wasn't prepared for what a fantastic speaker she was. I think her speaking so honestly to us was just incredible. And it adds so much color to, you know, the stuff that I think people have probably read and, and has been out in the media before. So, yeah, cannot wait to cheer on in, in Tokyo now. And uh, I think, you know, see everything that she does next because there's just so much going on for her. Yeah, I, I truly believe she'll, she'll go out there and get that gold. She, she, she deserves it. She's worked so hard. Five weeks preparation going into Olympics. Could you, could you do that? Like we, we prepped for four years and she's got five weeks notice. So, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a special story when she gets that, um, when she gets that medal. Um, so we're, we're truly excited for her and, and so grateful she gave us the time. So yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah. And isn't it fantastic that she did give us the time? You know, she's already out there in Tokyo, as you just mentioned there. Her preparation has been um, been a little bit difficult. I mean, that's nothing nothing new for her, as, as we found out listening to that. But, you know, she's still willing to, to give us that time um, when she's out there in the village. Obviously useful for, for me and you heading out there and to, you know, get a, get a couple of tips. Just a, a wonderful listen. I'm feeling so much more inspired now as well, about to head mm-hmm. out there. Don't forget, you can follow how Ramler gets on on Discovery Plus and on Eurosport, on TV, online and via the Eurosport Player app. And for all the latest news, views and interviews ahead of the Olympics, check out Eurosport.com. Next time we speak to you, we're going to be coming to you live from Tokyo, where we'll be joined by Team GB's heptathlon world champion, Katerina Johnson-Thompson. So until then, thank you for listening. Sayonara. Sayonara.